when I started a ministry a couple of decades ago now, um, ministry was so different. Um, I remember one of my first days on the job, I was working for a student pastor. He handed me a book. And in that book were pages that looked a little something like, well, they look like this. There was page after page of graphics for student ministry, for church world, what have you. And he would say to me, Kyle, here's what I need. I need a full page of announcements for our student ministry. And I need you to find things that talk about us going to the park or a bake sale or a car wash or just uh, working around the church. And so I would take out my scissors. Uh, yeah, there you are. And I would, I would go and I'd cut one of those out. And I'd cut really close in to make sure that it looked good, right? Some of y'all remember doing this. You would cut around the graphic and, and then you would you'd find your page that he gave you and he, you'd pull out your tape. And you had to be very careful when you taped. You, you had to put tape on every edge. Because if you didn't, when you made a photocopy of it, uh, it would show. So you had to tape every single edge. Give me a second, I'm bad with tape. Uh, that's why I don't do our boxes at Christmas. I'm bad with tape and with wrapping paper. Uh, coincidentally, I'm really good at shopping. Uh, but you would tape every edge, and then you would have your picture on the page. And you would do that for every little thing, and then you would put them all together, and you would put them on the Xerox copier, and, and you'd print off these pages. And it looked like you did an amazing job of finding graphics from out of nowhere and putting them on a page. Some of y'all remember this. I did this for years. I mean, year after year after year. And then something came along that revolutionized everything. You see, the internet expanded. And we started to be able to, instead of having to come up with pages like this, we just we pulled out our laptops, and we opened them up, and we went, oh, I like that picture, copy-paste. It was awesome. What took me for days to come up and really do a good job of it, it started to take me minutes, and it changed us. I remember when I was growing up that uh, we would have evangelism days. Y'all remember these? You'd all gather at the church, and you'd go knock on doors. You didn't even have to know the person. You just would have knocked on their door, and you'd say something like, hey, I'm Kyle from Blank Church. Um, we'd really like to invite you to our fellowship at the church and people would go oh I love fellowships and they would come and then they would be back the next Sunday and then they would join and you were like yes and then things changed you would go to their house you knock on the door and say hey I'm Kyle from whatever church growing up I'd love to invite you to our fifth quarter remember fifth quarters it's what you would do after football games or a basketball game and they'd come to your church and you would feed them, you know, Frito pie or pizza. And then their parents would come for a while and maybe they would join. And now we go and knock on doors and we say, ding dong. And they go, can I help you? And you're looking at their doorbell. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Kyle from up the street at Quill Creek. And they're like, we don't want any. And you go, fair enough. You go to the next doorbell, ding dong. They open the doorbell like this. 
You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, my bad. I'll go to the next door. Man, things are just, they're constantly changing. I can remember going to discipleship training hour. Y'all remember discipleship training hour? It was the hour right after lunch. And, and you would go and you would do a book. You'd do something like Experiencing God. And three weeks into Experiencing God, no one came back. Every, you'd have like 80 show up to start and three would be there after three weeks. And for those of y'all that were studious, like the preacher's kid that had to be there every week, you then sent in to get your Christian growth study plan from Lifeway. Any of y'all ever do this? Am I the only one that has a mess of these? Okay. Um, but you got one of these from Lifeway and it said, hey, you finished that. And you, you could like hang these on the wall. I've got like 80 of these because I had to go every week because I was the preacher's kid. So I've got, I mean, experiencing God students, experiencing God collegiate, experiencing God adults. I've got, you know, your growth plan with God. I, I've got all these, these things that we just, it, it, it ended somewhere. And we start to go, where, when do we stop changing? When do we stop moving in a direction that seems difficult? I was reading this article uh, at a Lifeway that talked about why people go to church today. And it just blew my mind. And it went by generation. You see, my great-grandparents went to church because that was the only thing in town to do on Sunday. Nothing was open. My great-grandparents grew up in a day where if a cafe was open on Sunday, they were ashamed. So the church was open and everybody went. My grandparents went to church because it was culturally taboo not to go to church. I remember talking to my granddad about him growing up, and if your friend didn't show up at school at church on Sunday, they said something on Monday at school. Where were y'all on Sunday? And most likely it was we were at our grandparents' house and went to their church. Well, then my dad's generation hit. You hippies. Free love became abounding. Peace became more than just a symbol. It became a gesture. And churches changed. People went less. And then my generation came. My generation was the most technologically bombarded generation in history. We grew up with the new advent of new stations on television the expanding of cable. We grew up with the interwebs, dial-up. Oh, those were fun days. We learned how to chat online. You see, things changed, and now there's another generation that came. These millennials are growing up in a day where everything is online. You see, I grew up in a day where our papers in school had to be done from the library. The library is now on one of these things for them. Our world is changing so fast. And so in the Lifeway literature, it talked about what makes people go. And so they gave three big things that lead people to church today. Number one, community. When they show up at a church, they want to go to a place that people want to know them. If they show up at a church and they walk in the doors and they walk out and no one response to them, they will not return. It's led churches to do things different, things like better door greeters, things in the foyer. It's led them to connect faster than ever. 
used to be that if you walked in a church back in the day, you stayed at a church. But now it's if you walk in the church and no one engages you, no one stays. The second thing that leads people to church, personal invite from a friend. They said this is statistically the largest reason people stay going to a church because their friend goes with them. So if you want to know how does a church grow, people begin to invite their friends. But that's the second reason they go to church and stay. The third reason, you ready for this? Y'all could drum roll, it wouldn't matter. Um, It's not the music. It's not the preacher. Ready for it? The reason people go to church, they felt a life change while they were there. When they come, something caught their hearts. And it made them go, I want to go back to that. So be a skeptic with, with me for just a second. I mean, let's, let's really play it up. Because, I, I mean, I've been here nine years. Next year will be ten. Excited about what God's done in those years. I mean, God's been on the move and I'm thankful for it. But we've become very familiar with our own church. Uh, we grow kind of numb to it. We walk in the same door. You sit in the same pew. You know how I know? I look at you every Sunday. You sit in the same, with that, the exception of our students. Hey, guys. Y'all sit in the same pew. You know why? It's comfortable. You know it. You hear better from that pew. You like the sight lines. You're closer to the bathroom. I don't know why you sit where you sit, but you do for a reason. You sit there because your husband's a preacher. I'm sorry. Um, no one wants to be that close. But listen, we all show up and we all come in our same door. And we've all experienced our same church and we all sit in the same pew and we're all familiar with us. There's somebody here today. And maybe we've met, maybe we haven't. This is their first Sunday with us. They walked in our doors for the first time and had to navigate our halls for our first time. They didn't know where to sit and there's a good likelihood that they probably sat in your pew and maybe in your spot. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> There's a good likelihood, if you're new to us, that somebody gave you stink eye because you sat in their pew. We like to call it church judgmentalism. We all possess it, and you're going to learn it soon. We all get really familiar with what's familiar, and we forget. There's a whole lost world outside of these walls. When I came here nine years ago, one of the first things that we did was Team Impact. Team Impact are these big brute guys that break stuff and tear stuff and grunt. They're awesome. I'll never forget, we sat down in the office and Michael Pinkston gave me and everybody else the plan of attack for the week. It was waking up way too early. Uh, I was the new guy on the block, so I got to wake up at five in the morning and go to the news station and tell everybody on the morning news that they could come watch these guys break stuff and tear stuff. That was a lot of fun. It's like, good morning. I know none of y'all are awake yet. Come watch guys break stuff and tear stuff. It's going to be awesome. And then I get like one person on Facebook, I saw you on TV this morning. I'm like, thanks, Mom. Uh, (laughs) That that was about it. Uh, The rest of y'all might have recorded it. I don't know, but no one's awake that early except for newscasters. Um, I just remember those days that we would watch people walk in our doors that we had never seen before. It was awesome. 
We had people waiting for them, excited to see them. We planned with you guys for that. We said, listen, when they walk in the door, say hi to them. Show them to a seat. Make them feel welcome. You remember this? Maybe you don't remember that. Maybe you remember Hank Huff and his dogs. Y'all remember this? He would have his dogs here, and he would leave a, a decoy upstairs. And he would tell that dog, go, and it would run up our stairs. Go all the way up, and he'd grab the decoy and turn around and look at him. And he'd go, wait. And he'd tell this dog to do some stuff. And then he'd say, all right, you come down. That dog would come down. He'd get about halfway, and he'd say, wait. And that dog would just sit there like, okay, this is cool. How are you doing? Right? And finally, he'd make him come down, and we were amazed. We saw people come in the doors, and, and we were like, oh, it's so good to see you. We greeted them at the doors. We were excited to have them here. We loved for them to be here with us. That's this coming Sunday. Let me tell you a few things I do know. One is, I'm sure by now you know that we are inviting a friend of ours in the church, Chris Griffin, to come and sit in our foyer. He looks like Santa. Um, He's a good one, by the way. He sits on Candy Cane Lane each week. And greets kids there. In fact, what I think is really interesting is I've seen a lot of your pictures with him, with your families. Um, Because he's good. He's a good guy, and we love him. He's a member here. Um, We invited him for one reason. And it happened this last week. This last week on Amarillo Buy, Sell, and Trade. It's a Facebook page on on the Facebooks. Um, Somebody said, where can I go? Let's take a picture with Santa. And I'm not going to call out who it is, but you're new to our church. You haven't been here very long. And you responded, come to my church, December 23rd. Bring your family. And you know what they said? We'll be there. That's why. We believe the gospel is that good. And we believe that we need to do everything within our power to present people with the gospel. It's leading us to do things that are so unconventional. It's leading us to take our praise team, our great musicians, and and go play downtown and try and find people that are far from Jesus. And they did, and they found them. I've I've learned something as, as I'm spending more and more time with the Lord. We find ourselves uniquely in a place at all given moments where we have to make a choice. Will we go and eat with the tax collectors? It's the question that Jesus left for his church. It's what he modeled. It's frankly not what we do. Because we don't like tax collectors. We like Pharisees. We like people who, when approached by reaching the world, cross their arms and simply say, but we've never done that before. And we don't like it. To which Jesus says, that's okay. Stay at the temple. I will take the world. You and I are left with a very inconvenient and hard truth. Is there things that you and I will not do to see people saved? To be presented with the gospel? Because today we're going to end this series as we look at one Christmas. We start in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. It says our attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. Who, it says in Scripture, 
existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he became as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And verse 9 says this, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. The hardship for me is knowing this. It does not say that every life will be saved. It just says that every knee will bow. Which is inconvenient for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It means that our neighbors and our family members and our co-workers, even if they don't know Jesus this side of judgment, they will all bow that side of judgment. And it should be a heartbreaking moment for us to realize we are given very short moments this side of heaven. Our life is but a mist, Scripture says. Like a wind that's here one second, it's gone the next. We've got to recognize that with every moment we have as a church family that meets in this building at Quell Creek, we must do everything in our power. With every moment we have, with all of our strength and with all of our heart, reach the lost. They will not, I promise you, instinctively get in their cars and drive to a church and say, you know what, I just need to hear the gospel. They will, though, come if we give them opportunity. They will come if you invite them. They will come, and I promise you, with everything I have, from the day I touched this pulpit till the end of time that God gives me, I will present the gospel. I promise you I will. I will not miss a Sunday to share that they can know Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something that breaks my heart, and it should break yours as well. Since the moment I got here nine years ago, Stan Coffey faithfully stood in this pulpit and preached the gospel every Sunday as well. And how many Sundays have we seen the gospel presented? And no one walking out. The lost will not hear unless we tell them. And they will not come here unless we invite them. So let's learn a truth today. We will as a staff at Quell Creek, and if y'all don't like it, I promise you, we will step away. But we will with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our strength, do everything in our power, with all of our planning, with all of our prayer to present a way for the lost to come in these doors to hear that gospel. I promise you that. The hardship is this, every day we get up and we put on a name tag. You don't maybe realize it, but you have it. In Christ, he puts his own name upon your life. That's what he does. Every morning he wakes up and he implants his life on you. Because he loves you that much, he is willing to pay the price for everything that you do today in Christ. So he will take his name and implant it upon you because there can only be one name on the name tag of your heart. And today people are waking up and they're putting everything else on that name tag. And it is leading them straight to hell. 
completely separated from the love and passion of Jesus. And today, we are offering them a way. Today, we're offering them a path, and it is a path that you and I must walk down. We must be Jesus to everyone, at every time, in every way, with everything we have. You know why? Because it matters to us. Because it matters to him. We must find our hearts at the very heartbeat of Jesus. And if not, we need a transplant. It's time to quit getting shocked by good worship. It's time to get, quit getting, trying to put into rhythm by revival. It's time to have a heart transplant and get the heart of God in you. We've got to quit trying at faith. We've got to quit trying at stuff. We've got to start listening to what Jesus did and start to emulate that. He went and found a way to reach the lost. And when they wouldn't come to him, he went to them. Jesus was mocked by saying that he was an alcoholic because he hung out with winos. He was accused of being a friend of tax collectors because he went to their homes. He was found with prostitutes because he loved them and wanted to show them the compassion of Jesus. Will we be known by anything else other than we like to hang around other Christians? Because that is exactly what Jesus preached about when he said, you'll have whitewashed tombs. But inside of you are full of dead men's bones. You're a brood of vipers. You travel seas and you make people twice as much a son of hell as you are. Jesus saw that there was a lost world all around tabernacles. And they weren't reaching them and so he found them. What does it look like when a church becomes alive with Jesus? It looks like a church that leaves the room and still acts like the church. That's what it looks like. Jesus will build his church. I promise you this. He will build his church, and he will move out of buildings to do it. He's going to find the world because he came to seek and save that which was lost. Let's not forget Jesus' words. He came to find the lost. He did everything he could to find them. He spent time with them and he loved them. He, pried, he tried to pry out of us our judgmentalness, our hard-heartedness. In his very close circle of disciples, he tried to get them to see that they kept going to their favorite people. They like to spend time in circles. And Jesus, I mean, in his ministry, he sends them out and has them come back. Because there's no other way he could get them to move unless he sent them. So hear it from me today. Go! Go! Go and share your faith. Go and tell people about Jesus. Share with them the hope that you have. Share with them the greatness that you know that you, at the end of your last breath, will take your first breath in heaven with him. Tell them, go! Go! Because it matters to him and it should matter to us. Because there is one name that should be written on every name tag of the heart. And one day, even if it's not on the name tag of their heart, it'll be at their knees. Because every knee will bow. Amen. Knees bow no matter the heart. It's just how it works. Here's the next. Every tongue will confess no matter the outcome. Can you imagine that day? When all of heaven and earth stop and, and we're standing before a holy God and there's judgment to be made. And that at that point, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess regardless of their outcome. 
There's going to be millions who will spend their life in an eternal separation from a holy God in a place called hell that will all have to acknowledge that Jesus was the way. We have great neighbors who have other faiths, but outside of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, they will all spend eternity separated from God. There's no other way. I don't care what big wigs in Hollywood tell you or what talk show hosts want you to believe. I can promise you, you can be in their book club, but if you follow their way, it'll lead you to hell. Listen to me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And you and I hold the keys to eternity. You and I with bated breath, get to tell people about the greatness of Jesus and show them with our lives. But I got to tell you something. You got to use your words. You have to because how else can they know unless someone tells them? Don't just hope they know that you're a saved person. Knowing that you're a saved person does not lead them to salvation. The truth of the word of God does. They must hear it. It all comes down to one thing. And look at the verse with me again. Verse 9. For this reason God highly exalted him, being Jesus, and gave him a name that is above every name. So let the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It all comes down to the glory of God. You and I get to exhibit that with everything that we do. We get to be that heartbeat for our community. We get to reach out to a people that no one's reaching out to. Let's not forget, Amarillo today is an unsaved city. We have churches on every corner. But it's an unsaved city. We have a lot of church members. It's an unsaved city. We have a lot of people that have been baptized in this baptismal or the one on 6th Street. I promise you that. I ran into them. And there's a lot of people that have gotten wet with Amarillo water that will spend an eternity separated from God. Because water doesn't change it. Doesn't. You can be dipped a million times in our baptismal up here. It won't do anything for you. It's through obedience to God's word and your understanding and application in your life. You must know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because at his name God made a way. By his life, Jesus paved the way. And he didn't ask you to go where he's not going. He's made that way done. It's finished. He said so on the cross. When he said it was finished, he had finished paving the way for you and I to follow after him. And when he walked out of that tomb, he made sure that we wouldn't forget it. He didn't just live a good life. He had a great death and he lives today in a great way. You and I, get to be a part of that. It is all meant for God's glory. And the last is this. One Christmas demands one focus. Glorifying the Father. You and I get this moment in time to shape the lives of people that may never make it in this building. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Next Sunday, I'm going to ask you to come ready. I mean really, really ready. So do a few things for me. Number one, bring your smile with you. If you can't find your smile, again, tape at the door. We'll tape it up for you. You can walk straight in. It'll be good. The next, bring fun with you. Find your ugly sweater. Find whatever you got. Bring in lights. 
let's show a lost world that they can have fun when we worship Jesus. You know what they're used to? Sitting on their hands because that's what they see us do at work. You know what they see? Us not enjoying anything about God. And this coming Sunday is a chance to show them this is where we get the pepper rally to run out onto the field. We got to get ready. We must be ready. The third is this. When you show up in this building next Sunday, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Love each other. Sit with each other. I mean, get elbow to elbow with somebody in this building. Like, move in. When you see a guest, invite them to sit with you. If you don't know them, they may be here every week and you don't know them. I mean, look around the room. There's somebody in this room you don't know. I can promise you that. I mean, take a look. You're like, I don't know that person. You should next Sunday because they're going to sit right next to your face because you're going to invite them. And if you don't, they're going to invite you. So I'm asking for the bold. I'm asking for those of y'all that believe that when a lost person walks in this building next Sunday, there should be nothing in the way of hearing the gospel. We've asked them, we've given them a way to come in the door. The next is we're going to preach the gospel every single week in this building. We're going to show them that Jesus is really good to us. He has changed our lives. He is speaking into us every day. And by his grace, we have a plan for our lives. And even if it all fades away, we have an eternity built in him that's just that good. So let me just tell you, show up. And let me give you a practice for it right now. I want to give you the practice for next Sunday. And it's going to happen in these next few moments that we call invitation. In the next few moments, you're going to be given an opportunity to respond to Jesus. You're going to have music up here that most Sundays people sit and watch. But this Sunday, you're going to worship. You're going to show up and go, Jesus, you are that good. And I really do thank you for what you're doing in my life. You give me breath and life. You give me a future in you. You're good. So thank you for that. You're going to bring your voice to that occasion. You're going to bring yourself to that occasion. Maybe it's to bring yourself to the altar for that occasion. Whatever it is, we're going to start today. We're not waiting for next Sunday. We believe that Jesus is here now. And it's a day you don't know him. It's a day you walked in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is your day to know him. You're going to see people all around you in this room. We're going to be praising his name. You don't even have to walk this aisle and talk to me, but I encourage you to talk to somebody. So do this for me. If you're in this room and you would say, you know what, Pastor Kyle, if somebody came to me, I'd be willing to talk to them about Jesus. Just raise your hand. Brother Kyle, if somebody came to me, I would talk to them about Jesus. You see around this room, you don't have to make it all the way down to me. I promise you, there's nothing magical that happens here. This is blue, worn-out carpet with a worn-out pastor that's had a couple of decades of ministry under his belt. You got people in this room that love Jesus just like I do. But if today you want to talk to a pastor, I'll be here. Dale will be here. John will be here. We would love to greet and meet with you. We'd love to talk to you about the greatness of Jesus because we don't believe he waits for, uh, for a Christmas Eve or an Easter. We believe he shows up every Sunday. And today you can know him. And today you're going to see passionate Christians that engage him. And today you're going to see worship like you've never seen during an invitation before. Because we believe that Jesus is so good that he emptied himself completely for us and paved a way of salvation for us. And we're about to celebrate him today. So if you are in that pattern with me, why don't you stand and let's pray. Father God, we believe today that you have paved a way for us. You are a holy God and we love you. 
Lord, we need you desperately. And so, Lord, may our worship indicate what our heart is really saying. We need you. Lord, we need you. And so, God, we want to praise you for all that you continue to do in our lives. Lord, we give you praise that we can engage a lost world just like you did. Lord, that we can do things and act like you and that the church will rise to the occasion. Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments as you speak over our hearts and, Lord, as we celebrate who you are. Lord, praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.